0: My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock. And I know something about jazz. But when it comes to classical... But I really want to learn. So... Every week on this show, a classical music expert will give me a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the Classical Classroom. Hello everyone and welcome to the Classical Classroom, I'm Daisha Clay and...
1: Surprise! Surprise. What?
0: Oh, you guys, I can't believe you're throwing us a surprise party for our 100th episode. I look like... Everybody's here. There's Bach and Beethoven and uh, the Schumanns. Is it Brahms? Brahms, is that you? And uh, who's that over there? Mozart, Salieri. Oh, look, they're hanging out, weird. Ravel, all the way from Paris, man. And uh, my old teachers. Oh my God, my old teachers are here too. This is This is fantastic. Look. Here's my very first teacher, Chris Johnson. How you doing, Chris? Good to see you.
1: Hey, Daisha. Good to see you. I've missed you. I think about you often when I listen to Classical Classroom, and I'm so excited for your hundredth show, your birthday show, your hundredth anniversary show. I don't know what you call that, but anyway.
0: Oh, thanks, Chris.
1: You know, when I see the and hear the folks that you have as your guests or your teachers or whatever, I'm uh, humbled to uh, have been a part of it uh, from the very beginning. And um, I think back fondly to this one particular day uh, where I was standing in the CD library
2: uh-huh. and
1: you came in and we were talking and you were like, hey, by the way, I've got this idea for a podcast. Um and you started talking to me about Classical Classroom.
0: I remember.
1: And I have to say, I don't know if my face revealed it, but my first thought was, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> um, and my second thought was, oh, my God, that's a great idea. you know. And so we did our show, and we talked about Vivaldi, and you know, I guess as is the case with most first shows or most pilots, um, I look back on it and laugh at the <laughs> subject matter and our kind of loose, un- planned approach to the whole thing
0: yes i distinctly remember our first episode because (laughs) we recorded for over an hour and a half we just kind of kept going and then um it took us about a month to produce the thing and the final product was only about 15 minutes long (laughs) you know that really takes me back back. back. It reminded me of rich people having an outdoor celebration. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I thought of immediately. And, you know, just on a sort of visceral, emotional level, due to my not being a rich person, <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I, I didn't really feel an emotional connection with the music. And, and then the second thing that I noticed was that there is so much harpsichord up in this music. <laughs>
1: really?
3: There is
0: Yes, so much harpsichord. And I think that one is a little bit uh, higher pitched, too. So it was particularly jangly sounding. Jangly? I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm sure that's <laughs> the technical term for it. Yeah, I I think I've developed a slightly, just slightly better vocabulary when it comes to talking about classical music during the course of doing this show. I can hear in listening to this bit from the first episode that it's, you know, these uh, conversations have paid off a little bit, a little bit.
1: I think that's also what makes Classical Classroom so great, um, is that it is as authentic as it gets, and that is something that... uh, you don't hear on radio or TV and I just love it because it's an expression of you um, and I like you and I like the show uh, and I love the things you guys do and I get jealous that you get to work with Todd all the time because he is one of the best in the business um, and you guys do some awesome work together so congratulations happy birthday, um, cheers to a hundred more
0: Oh, come here, come here bring it in, let's hug it out Thanks, Chris. Thanks for teaching me about Vivaldi. Oh, speak of the devil, here he is. The man who started it all, Antonio Vivaldi.
1: Hey, hey, you can just call me Tony, huh? My friends call
4: me Tony. You be my friend?
0: I be your friend? Tony? Antonio? That totally makes sense. Tony.
4: So I listened to your first show, my four seasons. Mm Mm-hmm. It did kind of sound like you didn't like my tunes, though. No. I have a problem with that. No. I'll have you know Four Seasons is the most popular piece of classical music ever.
0: Well, I liked the piece, but but I actually heard that Pachelbel's Canon was the most popular piece of classical music ever.
4: Hey, screw that Pachelbel guy. He doesn't got nothing. capiche?
0: But you know, Tony, uh, by the end of the show, I actually came around and I liked the piece.
1: Well, of course you did. What's the matter with you, huh? I'm freaking Vivaldi. Hey, speaking of music, I thought this was a party. Where are the tunes? Hey DJ, kick it, huh? Hey, now that's a tune. <laughs> hey, anyway, congrats, kid. You did good, huh? Hundred shows who to thunk it, huh?
0: Bada bing! Thanks, Tony.
5: Hey you guys, Keith Weber here. Wishing you guys all big congratulations on the occasion of this, your 100th episode. What a great milestone. And what a great platform. It's unique and creative and interesting.
0: Keith Weber, it's good to see you, although it hasn't been long since I have seen you because you are a repeat offender. You've been on the show more times than anybody. And you know what I have loved most about your episodes, besides what you've taught me about the music, is your laugh, your love for the music, and your dancing, It's that speaks volumes to your passion for it.
6: Remember that? Remember that? Remember that? Remember
0: that? Remember that? Remember that? So this first mm-hmm. movement was um, sort of interesting to me for a couple of reasons. Yes. Um, First, because, and I, I hope you don't take offense to this, because mm. I am completely ignorant of classical music, but it, it, it was interesting to me because it was not at all interesting to me. It didn't strike me on a on a visceral level. It yeah. sort of sounded to me um, like if you looked up classical music in an interactive dictionary. Right. This is the sort of thing that would play. Huh. And I found that that as I as I listened to it, it brought up a lot of questions like,
2: hmm.
0: like what? what is this music? What, where did this composer come from? Where do these sounds come from? Why, why this? uh, It just was a complete sort of vacuum for me, especially not having, I I sort of decided not to look into who the composer was prior to our lesson because I I wanted to come in fresh and learn all about it. That's wonderful. Let's hear what this guy does. (laughs)
7: Oh. oh, for heaven's sake. <laughs> and then aggressive and beautiful playing, and wow.
5: <laughs> uh, as the Italians would tell you, Bravi a tutti. And you know what, here's to hundreds more I've uh, been delighted and honored to take part And hope to do so again But anyway, to all of you Congratulations Happy 100th episode
0: Oh, great to see you, Keith I'm sure I'll see you soon Real soon (laughs) Oh, look at that Uh, There's Joel Lukes Gotta go
8: Hi, Daisha. Joel looks here, contributor for Culture Map in Arts and Culture Texas. I wanted to wish you and Todd happy 100th episode for Classical Classroom. You guys, this is such a huge accomplishment. I have to say, I consider myself one of the biggest classical music dorks out there who knows about everything. Um, okay, maybe not. Okay, I do know about everything. but. I have to admit, I've learned so much alongside of you. You guys are doing a great service, and here, here to the next 100, 500, maybe 1,000 episodes. I had a great time talking about the sexy and naughty side of the flute, and I hope to do it again with you guys sometime. Take care.
0: Uh oh, thanks, Joel. You know, uh, your show, I'll never forget, uh, because... <laughs> It has the distinction of being the only show we've ever made that we had to give an explicit rating to on iTunes. <laughs> I remember that episode fondly. Oh. Episode
8: Jolivet, I think, was a little bit more of a traditionalist. Um, so the piece, anyway, starts with with kind of like a, a, a scream, a pain, a painful scream, followed by a lament,
9: mm-hmm. a
8: crazy cadenza, and then just a nasty dance. Yeah, and it's really, really fun to listen to. It, it kind of, you, you kind of groove to it. <laughs> um, and it's it, it really it's it's really gritty. It mm-hmm. has a lot of grit. It Has a lot of uh, chutzpah. <laughs> 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 you have to have a lot of balls to play. <laughs>
0: Alright, let's hear this ballsy piece. (laughs) It was great to see you, Joel. I'm glad you came to the party. Oh, who's that over there? Carrying the ginormous instrument case.
10: Hello Desha, this is Oystein the tuba player.
0: Hi, Oystein the tuba player. Yeah, I remember recording your episode. It was crazy because um, we actually did it through Skype and you were in Norway. And throughout the entire episode, you were smiling. And I was like, who is this crazy Norwegian tuba player? And what, who is Todd setting me up with for an interview? This is insane. But your stories were incredible, and I thought you were the coolest guy. And it turns out that your episode was one of our most popular episodes of all time. Who knew? Norwegian tuba players, all the rage.
10: But, uh, and then I use something called lipbeat. Let's see if I can actually do that on the mic here. Okay. So it's a little bit like um, beatboxing, you could That's say.
0: You yeah, see I was going to say that. It's very, like bounty and like i was dancing in my office while i was listening to this and i I wondered if you were inspired by like other forms of music like rock or like where you got this from
10: well definitely i think even in classical music there's a there's a, a truth that rhythm will always make people Excited Because there is something with this heartbeat thing uh, that sort of makes you want to move. And it's so deep inside us that, uh, that we should really utilize this when we're playing classical music as well. Don't be afraid to sort of let things swing. Yeah. Congratulations on reaching 100 episodes of Classical Classroom.
0: All right. Well, good to see you, Oystein. Um, I'm going to head over to the piano and see what's going on over there.
10: Daisha,
2: this is Timothy Hester, congratulating you on your achievement, reaching 100 shows of the classical classroom. I'm so privileged to have been a part of it. I enjoyed giving you the class on Brahms. I remember that episode. I was actually
0: really nervous because I think you were the first actual music professor that we had on the show. And uh, but you totally put me at ease when you told one of the funniest rock and roll stories that we've ever had on the show. In
2: 1968, my parents took me to the what's now the Arena Theater. It used to be called the Houston Music Theater for what they thought would be a kids' show. Mm-hmm because there was this song by the Ohio Express called Yummy 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 I Got Love in My Tummy. Do you remember <laughs> I know that song? song? yeah. And I said I had heard they were coming and I said, "Mom, Dad, can I go to this show, you know?" Mm-hmm. And they said, "Sure, Timmy," you know, because mm-hmm. we lived right around the corner in Sharpstown and uh, they dropped me off, they took me over and dropped me off. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that the Ohio Express was the opening band for Steppenwolf. What? <laughs> so I was 10 years old by myself. In a suit at a Steppenwolf concert, <laughs> awesome. and it was it was unbelievable. It was wow. like the best night of my life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I wow. mean, I think that was even back when hippies were a new thing. You know, yeah. it was like really exciting. And the music was just amazing. And so I've been hooked by by rock music all my life,
0: yeah, that was that was a really fun episode. And it was great because you actually performed here in the studio, which I thought was, was really cool. It was such a treat.
2: So in honor of that and in honor of you, I would like to play for you the opening theme of Johannes Brahms' Opus 100, the A Major Violin Sonata, with Allegro Amabile as the tempo marking, Amabile is very tender, loving friendship. Good luck with the next 100, and I look forward to hearing all of them. Take care.
6: Tim,
0: that was so sweet. I'm tearing up, man. I just, you know, I've loved having professors on this show because they have just this unbelievable, uh, like, treasure trove of information in their brains, and I especially love it when they come to the studio and play. We've had other guests like that, too, like, uh, oh, Pierre Gelbert. Here he is.
3: Hello, Desha. This is Pierre Jalbert. Congratulations to you all on 100 episodes of Classical Classroom. That's incredible. Here's to the next 100.
0: Yeah, what was great about that episode is that I kind of got to see the inside of a composer's mind. And you showed me uh, works that had actually had an impact on you, like uh, Black Angels from God Music by George Crumb loved it. And then you played some of your music. Remember that? Remember that? Remember that?
6: Remember
0: that? Wow. Now, when you say that the pieces changed your life, other than in these very sort of concrete, you know, guiding the path of your life sort of way, do you mean that they changed your life creatively? Spiritually? I mean, like, because when you say, like, a piece of music changed my life, you know, you're a composer, and so I'm thinking, like, did it, you know, send you down a creative path? Now, when a piece of music changes my life, it's very different because I am not a composer. And so that that sentence means something very different for me. Yeah, I
3: think mostly it's about the the creative path, I think. Okay. Um, but mostly, I think I had never heard music like that before. I didn't know music like that was possible and I didn't know it would affect me in, in in that particular way. And I wanted to see how it was put together. And it, it just opened up new vistas in my own creativity uh-huh. that I don't think would have been opened if I hadn't heard those pieces. Okay. You know, I always tell my own students, you know, the old saying, you are what you eat. Uh-huh. Well, you, as a composer, you are what you hear. You uh-huh. are what you've been exposed to.
0: Did you know what my favorite thing was about your episode, Pierre? Is that you look just like a tall Bud Cort. You know the guy from Harold and Maude? Just like him. Wait, no. That wasn't an insult. Oh. Bye, Pierre. (laughs) No, it's too bad I really like Bud Cort. Oh man, Rachel Barton Pine, my favorite rock and roll violinist. Actually my only rock and roll violinist friend. Hi, Daisha! This is violinist Rachel
11: Barton Pine. Congratulations on getting to 100 Classical Classroom shows. That's so awesome. I know you've learned a tremendous amount, and I'm really excited for you, as you are just beginning to scratch the surface. So I hope you have lots of fun
0: continuing your musical adventures. Wait, I'm just scratching the surface? There's more? You know, when you came onto this show, you really spoke my language because you were able to talk about violin through kind of the lens of rock music, and it really made a lot of sense to me.
1: I was hanging
11: out with Uli John Roth, the lead guitarist yeah. of the Scorpions at his home in Berlin, and he asked me to play his favorite spot in the first moon of the Brahms, which is the end of the exposition. ¶¶ And then he said, you see those licks? I started using those licks in my guitar solos. And then Eddie Van Halen started copying me. And then all the guitarists, of course, copy Van Halen. And now you'll hear that lick in like every guitar solo when it comes from the Brahms Violin Concerto.
0: Right, and then after that episode, you actually came back And talked about Mozart. Oh, speak of the devil, here he is. With Salieri.
4: Well, hello, Daisha. It's me, Wolfie. (laughs) You
12: know my old friend, Salieri. Hi, Daisha.
0: Hey, Salieri.
12: I want to tell you congratulations on a hundred of these things you do.
0: Podcasts. Sounds
12: odd, but anyway, how wonderful. I was about to give up on you. But I heard you talking with violinist Rachel Barton Pine. And she was the first to feature me and my music for an entire show. It took you long enough. What show was that, 74? I mean, I'm Mozart, really. I could understand Salieri being 74. But me? Dude, I'm like standing right here.
0: Oh, Salieri, he wasn't trying to insult you. He does make an important point. I mean, Mozart, you really put Salieri to shame when it comes to your influence and lasting importance of your music.
12: Again, I'm right here. Well, I couldn't agree more. I expect lots more shows about me in your next hundred episodes.
10: So now, who's up for some shots? Okay. Stupid Mozart, I'm gonna have to kill him all over again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Woo, that's gonna be a fun evening.
4: Looks like there's a spot at the bar right here, next to Beethoven. Hi, Ludwig.
0: Whoa, look, there he is, the man. Beethoven.
4: Hi,
5: Disha. Mozart, you know I always wanted to take composition lessons from you, but uh, I guess I did all right on my own.
3: If you say
5: so. I would say so. Say what?
0: I said I would say so. So what? Just so. I would say so.
5: Joe who? I don't know a Joe. Deja, I just wanted to congratulate you. I have to say I enjoyed Show 29 with Wes Horner, my seventh symphony. I do think that was one of my best compositions ever.
4: It's so tempting to say that a deaf guy with such enormous talent Mm -hmm. had some key to opening the power of the universe that Mm -hmm. the rest of us don't. Maybe that's maybe that's true. Maybe his deafness and his being forced to move into an inner world connected him in some profound way with some deeper levels of the human soul mm-hmm. that otherwise might not have happened. So he had no... Did he have no uh, restraint on just putting it all out there? Mm-hmm.
9: Mm-hmm.
4: Possibly. That's kind of how I hear it.
2: Yeah.
0: And you, do you think that that, that that's what people hear in his his music. That that has just sort of situated him at the the top of the heap is that sort of soul bearing. People
4: yeah. People want that experience. Yeah. Oh, I do. Yeah. So that's the end of that.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that episode. Wes was so emotional when he talked about the music, and it and it really of got me wrapped up in the music as well i gotta say i love the seventh symphony too
5: we killed it when we first played that in vienna
0: yeah it's a great one
5: what i weigh a ton
0: it was super awesome
5: a rabbit opossum?
0: no it was a moving piece of music
5: the mooses are
0: in tunics it's a beautiful tune you beat a raccoon ah okay i give up anyway ludwig von beethoven thank you for being here
5: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
13: Hello, Daisha. This is your friend Angela Mitchell, also your former co-worker and soprano, who is now assistant producer for WCLV in Cleveland.
0: Oh my gosh, Angela, it is so good to see you. We've really missed you here at the station. I've, I've missed you. I am so proud to have been your featured guest on the second
13: episode of Classical Classroom when I taught you all about the bel canto style of singing. <laughs> Uh oh, this is like going back in time.
0: Back in time.
13: And so a characteristic of a bel canto opera is that it has super flashy vocal gymnastics. Mm. Singers are singing a lot of notes really fast. They're singing really high, they're singing really low and filling everything in between. Okay. Yeah. And what that meant was that everything else sort of took a supporting role to the voice. So it was simplified. The orchestra music was pretty simple. The drama was simple. The staging, lighting, costumes. Well, not necessarily costumes, but um, everything else that went into making an opera great was there to
0: support the singer. So basically, we're talking like the pop music equivalent of, of opera. Where, yeah. Is that, you know, sort of like, um, yeah. I don't know. Beyonce? Sure, Beyonce yeah. is great, has yeah. a beautiful voice, mm-hmm. and is generally awesome, <laughs> but it's not exactly complex music.
13: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good comparison, actually, okay. because you can think of any pop star out there these days, um, like Beyonce, who is a superstar, and people go to see Beyonce. They don't go to listen to the, what the band is doing necessarily right right it's like the band a show is,
0: the band is yeah. sort of you know they're her backup peeps they're, you know <laughs> but it's the beyonce show
13: right, right. yeah okay. so so there were these singers in the early to mid 19th century who were like the beyonce's of their day and people would go to the opera to see these singers and just see them show off and they didn't really care what was going on dramatically at the time okay and so that's where all of these operas kind of came from And now you are on your 100th episode. Congratulations, my dear friend. And here's to 100 more.
0: <laughs> uh, Angela, I'm so glad that you were here right at the beginning of this show. And you have come so far in your life. Look at you, you're all grown up. Joel Fan, it's great to see you. You know, actually, just a couple of days ago, I got a text from my mom, and she had just listened to your episode and said that she danced through the whole thing. And she said, "I'm a fan of Joel Fan," <laughs> and I was like, "Me too, Mom. Joel's awesome."
4: Hey, Daisha, this is pianist Joel Fan. Uh, I had such a great time talking to you about dance music. Congratulations on reaching a 100- hundred classical classroom shows. That's a great accomplishment. And i was so happy to have met you.
0: So when I think of dance music, I think of like Thumpa Thumpa, dance club, strobe lights, but Uh. this is not the kind of dancing music that you are talking about.
4: Right. We're not talking about like house music where it's just sort of like, you know, repetitive beats and stuff yeah. like that. But actually there was a similarity there. You know, why is it dance music? Mm-hmm. It You know, it's dance music because it has a regular rhythm. Yeah. And and it's because, and I've, I kind of came up with a definition of good rhythm. And, and it's kind of like when you have good rhythm, you can kind of predict where the next beat's going to be. Uh-huh. Right. And so like, if you think about all that dance music in clubs, it's like, you know, it's like, boom 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 right? right and you can clap your hands to it or or you know you can you know, your body knows when the next beat is going to be it's not like it's random right? right it's very regular and if you have a if you have a regular pattern like that then you can do syncopations against it right and you, mm. do you know what a syncopation is no i don't what is that so okay so let's say you have like a, a you know a regular beat like a boom 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 mm-hmm. boom and then the syncopation would be like the offbeat, what's called, you know, and it's like this. Boom-chick, boom-chick,
14: oh boom-chick, right, boom-chick. okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never done it before. That's that's. I hope I sound it okay. that sounded okay. <laughs> yeah. So so that it's like the the little offbeat and 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 that's the syncopation against the, the the main beat and and you're gonna hear that in all kinds of dance music yeah. and not just dance music from today but also you know dance music from from ages ago.
0: You know what? All of a sudden, I feel the need. The need to boogie. I'm going to head to the dance floor. Oh, it's the Schumanns. Hello, Mr. Schumann. It's great to have you here.
1: Yeah, hi, Daisha. Congratulations. Well done. Oh,
0: and I see your wife, Clara, is here, too. Clara, it's really great to meet you. Great to meet you too. You were such a huge star. It's strange that we seem to have focused more on your husband historically.
11: Yes, my fans have always adored me. Isn't that right, Robbie?
6: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And yet you see where it's gotten me. (sighs) Well, we hope to bring the importance of your music and the music of other women to the fore on our show. And uh, we actually talked about you quite a bit in episode 42 with Amy Bishop oh memories memories memory memory
2: memory
11: and he was sort of like this older brother figure for clara and there's a story that he used to dress up like a ghost and scare her and, <laughs> i guess chase her all around the house <laughs> so uh, a decade later they ended up getting married they fell in love when she grew up and she she became a, a young lady mm-hmm. and her dad was was a Against it. He, he didn't like it. And I think one of the reasons was because he knew that Robert had these issues. Uh, and okay. he just, I think that sort of bothered him a little that Clara was younger and she was in love and they did have this great romance and the, this great chemistry.
0: So. Wow, what a story. Okay, but wait, but wait. Tell me where Brahms comes into this. I have to know (laughs) about the love triangle.
11: Oh, okay. Well, it wasn't really. I don't know. Some people say it was a love triangle. Uh, Others just say it was just this great friendship. And they befriended Brahms. I I don't know the entire story of how they all met, but they were all familiar with each other's music. And the the three of them just hit it off so well. They were like the three amigos. (laughs) And (laughs) I don't think that... It, there were any ulterior motives. It mm-hmm. was just that they loved each other, I think, as friends. Mm-hmm. But it depends on who you ask. Some people think that maybe there's a little something else going on between yeah. Clara and Brahms, and she premiered a lot of his music. She was a big fan of his music. So I don't know. I don't know if there was some sort of uh, love triangle or if yeah. it was just... Um, a sincere friendship.
0: Well, I imagine Brahms was really busy growing his beard. So <laughs> that he, he probably was, you know, too busy for us there. Ah, what an amazing story. Somebody should make a movie about that. Is that Brahms over there? He's looking pretty good these days. Yeah, I guess for 182 years old. <laughs> I think I'm going to go talk with him in the garden But congrats on your podcast. Maybe someday you will be as big a star as I am. You mean forgotten by history? (laughs) (laughs) Bitch. Well, I'm on my way to the dance floor. Check you guys later.
9: Oh, there's my old buddy, Mark Buller. Hi, it's Mark Buller. I was honored to be on the show last year to talk about the history of the Motet,
0: I remember that episode fondly. You
9: better define like where the word motet comes from. Okay. Uh, so the word motet, people used to think it came from the Latin word movare, which means to move. Mm. But in the last few decades, uh, they've done a little bit more research and found more sources which show it probably comes from the French word mot, which means word or phrase. Uh-huh. So we go way back. Let's in your in our mind's eye. Let's go back to. Uh, The medieval era. There we go. Okay, sorry. (laughs) There are these singer, basically singer-songwriters called trouvères and troubadours. Trouvères were in northern France. Troubadours were in south. They were poet-composers, and they'd go around singing at courts and Mm -hmm. you know everywhere that anyone wanted to hear music. And they started to latch onto this idea of motets. So. Uh, people like adam de la Halle, i brought a piece by him he lived in the late 13th century died in i think 1309 sometime around there uh, composer poet he wrote a play about robin and marion robin hood and marion um which is interesting that that legend goes back so far yeah that's th- crazy 1200 it's really crazy do you speak french um no okay <laughs> All of our <gasps> listeners who know French will probably uh, tense up when they hear me attempt this. But this is a piece by Adam de la Halle called Mout mais fougrifle le départir. Apologies to everyone who knows French and could correct me immediately on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> You're safe with me. OK, thank you. Good. So let's listen to this. Uh, congratulations on hitting 100 episodes. Here's to 100 more. You know,
0: in that episode, you brought so much incredible information. I mean, you taught me e- everything from from the history of, of Robin Hood to, you know, the word origin of, of Motet. I mean, and you played all of these different examples. It was so informative and and, and great. But I have to confess something to you. That's... That I still don't really understand what a motet is. So you have to come back to try to explain it to me again. Use small words.
15: Bonjour, Desia.
0: Oh, Mr. Ravel, hi!
8: Oh, please, call me Maurice.
0: Oh, thanks, Maurice. I'm so glad you can make it here all the way from...
8: Well, I have to say that it is great to be back here in Houston. I remember being here long ago. Bolero, I think, was the piece I was working on.
0: Yeah, yeah, we talked about that in episode uh, 52 with uh, Howard Pollack.
15: Did you know that Ravel was in Houston giving lectures for the Rice Institute in 1928?
0: I did not know that.
15: And that was the same year that he composed Bolero. It was towards the end of his compositional career. And so he was here in the spring of 1928, Mm -hmm. and Bolero was premiered in November of 1928. So So so, he may
0: have written it Yeah, he
15: may have been working on Bolero when he was in Houston.
0: That's so cool.
15: Staying at the Rice Hotel, I believe.
0: Yeah.
15: Isn't that something? That's
0: really
15: cool. Yeah. So let's get back to this piece. And initially, what we hear is: Do you remember the three elements?
0: Uh, one, two, three. One, two, three.
15: Okay. Uh, and no, then, no. yeah, one, two, three, <laughs> and then bolero rhythm. Okay. And then melody. In the
0: melody. Okay. okay, got it.
15: So the one, two, three initially is played by the strings plucking what we yeah. call pizzicato. Uh-huh. Okay. So we're going to hear that kind of faintly. Yeah. And then we're also going to hear the snare drum playing the bolero rhythm. Mm-hmm. Bum, ba da dum, da da dum, bum. And then, after a little bit of an introduction of that, we get the flute by itself coming in and playing the melody.
7: Okay.
0: Yeah, that's such a deceptively simple piece, you know? And it kind of reminds me of being in Spain, though I've never been to Spain. You know, a lot of people think this is sort of a sexy tune.
8: Yes. I cannot believe so many people think my piece is the sexiest one ever. I have other music I enjoy when I am, how you say, getting jiggy with it. I believe it's called
10: Open Arms. I do love Johnny so much.
0: Oh, God. No, Maurice, no. Oh, my God. Turn that off. Steve Perry's voice is my kryptonite. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out of here and head to the snack bar.
7: Oh, hey, Buck.
0: Nice of you to show up. Did you just get here?
7: Yeah, I was waiting on my cousin. I mean, my, wife, I mean, my second wife, uh, Maria Barbara. She was picking me up a six pack of Slitz malt liquor that I like to call Bull slips. <laughs> hey, Barbie. Come on in and say hi to Dacia.
11: I'm trying, but these kids are about to get on my last nerve, i tell you what.
7: Yeah, we brought all seven kiddos. Carl, Philip, Emmanuel, Ether, yeah, Get your tail back in here and say hello to the lovely lady.
11: Oh, Dad.
7: Oh, quit your crying. I swear, he's so sensitive.
11: Oh, come here, baby. Come to
0: Mama. He's so cute.
7: Yeah, I guess.
0: Mr. Bach, it is so special to have you here. From what I've learned, you're you're really one of the most important and respected composers Ever. I mean, in episode 23 of our show, Kurt Stallman broke down your first invention, and it was like a whole universe. It existed inside of this simple-sounding piece.
14: Now, listen to this.
0: It's almost as if you're playing, you're playing the the front half first, and then the back half after.
14: You are amazing.
0: Oh, thanks.
14: No, right. It's so it's about what we've done. We've slowed it down. Okay. Right. And that's part of it. Yeah. So imagine time is elastic. Right. So some things da 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 becomes da 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 da. Right. And so now listen. Now you can hear this. No? Okay. Now listen. So you can hear all those little yeah. things in there now? Yeah. Yeah. And it. now that's exactly it. So it's like all these little materials are coming together and they're shaped. Mm-hmm. They're shaped. And and with it's like patterns within patterns within patterns. And all of these patterns begin to form larger patterns. And then those larger patterns become sections in themselves. Mm. And this is to me, you know, the beauty of this. I mean, I could spend here we could talk for hours just about this tiny little piece and all of the things going on in it. Yeah.
0: That's. I mean, I feel like we've only talked about like we only what... talked
14: about the first six measures. <laughs> it's
0: crazy. But... That was just so cool. It blew my mind. And then we also talked about your mass in B minor in another episode with Wes Horner. It was like listening to the sound of heaven. It's just amazing to meet you. I mean, your mind. I, I can't imagine what it's like in there. You're just a musical genius.
7: Yeah, I guess.
0: Well, I mean, it's just been a real honor. You're the inspiration to almost all of the music and composers here.
7: Well, I'm tickled you like my music. Honestly, I just spend my time writing to get away from the old ball and chain here.
11: (gasps) Jojo, shut your mouth before I slap you.
7: (laughs) And get some peace and quiet, you know what I mean? Hey, what's this crap we're listening to? You got any skinnered? Freebird! Oh, look, honey. They got beef
0: jerky. Oh, Uh, okay, uh, bye, Mr. Bach. What is... what is that sound? Do you guys hear that? I think that's the sound of lightsabers. Oh my god! Of course, it's Brett Mitchell!
5: Daisha Clay, it's your old pal, Brett Mitchell, formerly assistant conductor of the Houston Symphony, currently associate conductor of the Cleveland Orchestra. Just a quick note saying, congratulations on your 100th episode of Classical Classroom. It was such a treat to be your guest way back on your fourth episode talking about John Williams' epic music for Star Wars, Episode 4. How appropriate was that?
0: You know, that really takes takes me back. the wabbit.
5: Right, exactly. Kill yeah. the Wabbit, yeah. But it's a, it's a totally recognizable, instantly recognizable tune. I mean, even if Wagner only goes, you know what it is. You don't ha- even have to hear the rest of the melody. So when John Williams set about writing the very first Star Wars score in 1977, he used the exact same approach. So what we'll talk about today is the leitmotif use in the Star Wars movies, because they are all, look, we all know these tunes, whether it's, um, right, which is Darth Vader's theme. But a lot of people don't necessarily know that it's Darth Vader's theme. I think that's probably the most obvious that it's Vader's theme. But there are tons of other motifs in the piece that are meant to evoke people or ideas. Hey, do you want to go see The Force Awakens together in December?
0: Um, it's like you're asking me if I want to go down to the Tashi station and pick up some power converters. Uh, yeah, I want to see The Force Awakens in December. Let's do it.
5: Keep up the good work, Daisha. Oh, and may the Force be with you.
0: And also with you. (laughs) Alicia, lawyer of Roko, it is so good to see you. You know, your show was really great because we talked about a specific instrument, and our fans have really enjoyed the shows that we've done on just specific instruments.
6: Hey, Daisha, congratulations, you and Todd, on the 100th episode. This is Alicia Lawyer. I'm glad you're my fellow adrenaline junkie, and you know so much more about the oboe. Yeah, you know, I did learn a lot about the oboe in that episode,
0: but I think what I learned more is how intense it is to play in an orchestra, especially as a soloist.
6: Here. It almost sounds military in a way, right? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. With the death toll of the drum. Uh huh.
0: This whole piece I noticed as I, I went through it is very much kind of just in this vein, it's very sort of flowy and slow and sort of, like you said about, um, I can't remember which one it was, but it's got a sort of desolate sound That's a Shostakovich
6: sound. Yeah. So it's just this great, and putting the two double reeds together Mm
2: -hmm.
6: just makes it even more poignant, is that word I always say. (laughs) Oboes get all the poignant things. (laughs) If you want to have a tear come... Make Uh the oboe play. (laughs) (laughs) The the deer could come for many reasons, but... (laughs) (laughs) Right here. Listen. (laughs) That note is so easily not coming out sometimes. So, um, anyway, it's just this beautiful piece. um, And the very last thing I had for you to listen to is the Pulcinella Suite by Stravinsky.
0: I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but when you talk about playing the oboe... It sounds almost as if you are talking about participating in an extreme sport. Yes. That if <laughs> you screw up, you're going to get home. You die. Injured. It's that whole
6: Scheherazade thing. <laughs> like, it really affected me. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's a do or die thing in a good way. Yeah. And, and, a, and I mean it in a positive way. Not, and, and I think when you get to a certain point, you either embrace that or you crumble, honestly, yeah. in, in all music. And, and it is always stepping out there and becoming incredibly vulnerable.
0: I totally know what you mean about vulnerability I sometimes feel pretty vulnerable hosting this show Given that the premise of it is that I'm ignorant But you know, it's a lot of fun I've really enjoyed doing it Because I get to meet people like you And learn about things I'd never learn about outside of this show
6: But I have to say, you know what? You're really wrong about Journey It's an awesome band Congrats, bye! Oh my god. Listeners, just a
0: piece of advice. Never tell anyone what music you don't like. I have got to get out of here. I need to get to a journey free zone. Oh. Oh, Dasha,
12: you can't leave. The night is young, and all these people are here partying. It's your party. You Todd. can't go.
0: But, Todd, they keep playing journey what am i supposed to do
12: well you can't turn off journey but how about one more drink before you go
0: okay you can turn off journey it is very doable i've done it many times but okay one more drink and then i'm out of here just one more just one more okay
1: six hours later
0: Time. remember remember oh
12: my god it's like three in the morning daisha
0: you know what is great about this show is that you know like all the people who come on here are, like so smart and they don't even care that i like don't know stuff and like they're so wonderful and i love them okay. and you know i love you too okay daisha, you're okay. so tall okay. why yes, are you so yes.
12: tall everybody's wonderful okay you know what chicken butt <laughs> give me the mic you're too drunk to host
0: you know what when you're right, you're right, sir. And you are also left because there are two of you. There are two tots.
12: Thank you, everybody, for coming to the party. We'll get Daisha home safely. Uh, let's see. I'll take over. What did she do here? Um, so that, that that about does it for this episode of Classical Classroom, our 100th. Uh, for more classroom, please go to HoustonPublicMedia.org slash classroom. Classroom. Oh, you can find us wherever podcasts live. And when you're there, please subscribe and rate and review and do all that wonderful stuff. Uh, you can also follow us now on Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. Check it out. Woo. Thanks to audio producer me for making the show sound Frank. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, know how to talk uh, words.
12: Do, do. Um, thanks to program director Sturgeon Flynn. For being such a dog's body and ear bashing Dacia if she drops a clanger and preventing any muck ups and collie wobbles, whatever that means. Thanks to editor Mark DiClaudio for showing me I'm number one with his middle finger and his freaky eyes. And thanks to Dacia Clay for oh God, drinking all the vodka. Thanks to all the former guests who sent us the voice messages. It was very kind of you with very little notice. I blame myself. And also thanks to Craig Cohen laura lucas mark de claudio ernie manouse Sinjin flynn amy bishop and sydney knight for their impeccable voice acting skills
0: no really thank you i love you guys love you
12: uh most of all thanks to you for listening and we'll catch you the next 100 times Whee! let's get you an uber